It's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode number 218, Best Hybrids Coming in 2022. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me in looking at the fresh dual power models heading towards Aussie showrooms this year are Deputy News Editor Justin Hilliard. Hello. And key contributing journalist, Mr. Stephen Otley. Hello. We'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead via the time codes in the notes or click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get underway. Best Hybrids, um, a story authored over the, uh, over the break by our own Tom White. Um, he rightly makes the point that they are something of a hot topic. Um, in Australia, an explosion of new models in the last few years and obviously a consumer appetite um, for this kind of car as a stepping stone on towards um, more serious uh, electric type, uh, pure electric type cars. Um, and he says, you know, it's not only you'll cut down your fuel bills, people are concerned about lower emissions, uh, save the planet, all of that stuff. And his story uh, actually ran to a list of a dozen, a dozen, and we're going to touch on each one. And We'll, we'll kick off with the first one that we have touched on in other podcasts. So quickly, maybe it's almost like an update. It's the Cupra um, Formenta. And tell me, Justin, initially we had Leon, um, but are we calling it Attica now or am I getting my Cupras mixed up? No, two separate models there. So you've got the small hatchback, which is your Golf equivalent, basically, and then um, a small SUV as well. So right. uh, they're launching with two small SUVs, one being bigger, slightly bigger than the other. Yeah. And it is the Attica, isn't it? Or is it? Is it Attica yeah. or Attica? Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. We're waiting I for someone to put us, put us straight um, <laughs> on the pronunciation. Anyway, in, since this story uh, first appeared, our own Tung, our man in Europe, uh, specifically mm. Dublin, has driven the Formenter. So people are able to see what he makes of it on the site. And uh, there's a video as well on YouTube. Um, so that, we know that one's coming. And it's a, it's a Spanish kind of performance spin-off Mark under the VW group that's come out of Sayat, and uh, we're yeah. looking forward to that. What do you, Steve? What do you make of Cooper's arrival? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a smart tactic to come with with something a little bit different. You know, like obviously Volkswagen Group has enough brands here, um, so Cooper needed to do something different, and so bringing, you know, launching with hybrids, you know, performance focused hybrids, I think is a smart move. Yep. Cool. Okay. Good. Let's let's because we've touched on um, those uh, already. Let's just move on to the next one. Ford Escape. You know, the Escape is one of the most hot in one of the most hotly contested market segments of all. Um, it's not far away. Um, we're we're saying first quarter, Justin. I think that's still on schedule. Um, yeah, as far as I know, early and, this year. And yeah. Tom makes the point that Ford's been a bit slow <laughs> off the mark to get some electrified models into this market. Um, so it's been delayed already due to some uh, battery issues. It's built in Spain. We were just talking about Cupra. Um, but it's following a bit of a Toyota model with a 2.5-litre Atkinson cycle petrol engine um, and uh, with a battery making its contribution electric motor, 50 kilometres electric only driving range. Is that, is that enough? But, It'd be interesting yeah. to see how it performs, but I just can't see it being anything but a low volume player um, in that segment. I mean, Escape kind of struggles for traction as it is anyway, let alone a, a PHEV version that's, you know, going to have an even smaller audience. So obviously wish that it does well, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure it's going to be a lot of appetite for it. 
potentially, I mean, it's it's CX five and Rav uh, four that just swamp that part of the market. No matter what yeah, yeah. kind of uh, powertrain you're talking about, it's just hard. It's a it's a steep mountain to climb, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and being a plug-in, it's a bit more expensive too, so that also plays yeah. into it as well. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's you know, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. The problem for Ford is it just why wouldn't you buy a RAV4 or a right. CX5? You know, like yeah. it's, 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 you've got to convince people to step out of something that they're probably already in or yeah. they know someone who's in it, like escape. It just, it's just yeah. kind of on the fringe there. So, you know, yeah. That's, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Well, talking about, you know, butting heads with Toyota, next up, Santa Fe hybrid Hyundai, um, finally getting a, a hybrid version um, of, the, of the Santa Fe. It's what we're going to call a self-charging Toyota style. So no plug-in. The engine does a big job in terms of charging up uh, the battery and and, uh, all of that. Uh, No PHEV slated for this market. And it's a small engine, uh, Justin, 1.6 litre turbo uh, with the electric motor, but 350 newton metres torque isn't to be sneezed at. That seems like a really good combo. And I think the difference is with uh, you know the Hyundai and Kia hybrid systems versus a Toyota is these are turbocharged engines they're playing with, right? So you know that gives it a little bit of extra boost um, from the from the engine itself before you even add the electric motor into the equation. So that's a bit yeah. of a point of difference. And I think unlike the Escape PHEV, something like a Santa Fe hybrid, you know, stands to do quite well in that segment, kind of yeah. like what we've already seen with Kluger Hybrid, one of its competitors. It's a, mm. it's a bit of an engineering high-wire act, isn't it, when you start to bring turbos, you know, a turbo engine with the electric motor, all of that, orchestrating all of that into a, a refined kind of powertrain. That's, mm. that's a real challenge. So it'd be interesting mm. to drive. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm mistaken, they originally sort of played down the chances of, of a hybrid Santa Fe uh, with this generation. So I think it kind yeah. of speaks to, you know, like you said, this story, we're talking about a dozen cars here. Yeah. You know, I think we've seen, you know, it's interesting to me, is, is, is this a question of, uh, have consumers demanded this or have car companies got more access to these hybrid models? But I think, yep. you know, we've seen with RAV4, it's just become so, it's been so popular, the hybrid version of the RAV4, that other brands are like, well, let's have one. And that's, I think, where yep. we see, you know, this Santa Fe's come from, that sort of, yep. we better we better just join the, join the crowd. I think it also plays to a phrase that we've used regularly on this podcast, which is, you never know. You know, <laughs> oh, no, it's not coming here. Definitely not coming here. Mm. And, and certainly not in this generation. Oh, it's here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. So you, yeah. you, ne- you never know. The, the next one is a really interesting one. Jeep um, of all brands and the Grand Cherokee. Uh, third quarter, a plug-in hybrid. Now, we've been calling them regularly PHEV, FEV. That doesn't seem to have much traction with consumers. Mm. Um, and Jeep has gone for calling it the 4 by e So, Four, lowercase x, lowercase e. Four by e is what they're calling it, um, to put it into Jeep parlance. Plug-in variants, they're still going to have V8s available in the, in the Grand Cherokee, but these plug-in variants, we're putting the position that it's probably replacing the diesel um, engine versions of the Grand mm. Cherokee. And this thing's yeah. going to be able to tow what, just over 2.7 tonnes, 637 newton metres of torque. So um, Jeep needs to stay true to its um, loyal base, I suppose, in going yeah. this way. Well, on the topic of Grand Cherokee, it was only yesterday that Jeep actually released pricing for the Grand Cherokee L, which is the seven-seat version. And uh, look, 
Jeep's a premium brand now. I mean, that car kicks off at 82 grand Jeepers. and goes all the way up to 115. And that's with the V6 because Australia misses out on the V8 that's available elsewhere. Right. So it's 115 grand and the plug-in is going to cost more than that. So we could be potentially talking about it, you know, $130,000 Grand mm. Cherokee plug-in or mm. 4XE, that, as they like to call it. Uh, it's a lot of money. That seems, how should I put that? That seems maybe optimistic. I don't, I don't <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm also thinking- Borderline courageous. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a fine line between, was it the fine line between bravery and insanity? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a questionable. But I mean, overall, I think that that strategy to, of Jeeps is good. You know, that it is a, I guess it's a more premium offering. But def, obviously it's a desperately needed update. You know, the, the current Grand Cherokee is- both old and had a bit of a rocky road at times. Mm. Um, mm. Kind of appropriate, I guess, for a Jeep. But um, yeah, yeah, they just like, they need well, something. I'm not, I'm not sure that, yeah, if they're potentially pricing themselves out of the market, but certainly, you know, that looks like, uh, you know, they're interesting, exciting. It's an interesting, exciting new model for that brand. I mean, yeah. to, to labour the military analogy there, Steve, I know one did go under the uh, tracks of a tank. Um, at one point, if you mm. recall, um, disgruntled owner. Anyway, yeah, talk about travails. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Then we're back to South Korea and Kia Sorento hybrid. Um, and this will be a plug-in. Um, and then we'll have a what we'll call a regular hybrid, so the, the self-charging hybrid. Um, and again, using that same powertrain um, as Santa Fe. So going through the, um, the group, uh, what do you make of that? Kia is on a roll, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of similar to that Santa Fe hybrid we were talking about. I mean, the PHEV version of the Sorento launched uh, late last year. I think it was October. And now we're waiting the self-charging hybrid version. But, you know, obviously very similar to the Santa Fe hybrid we were talking about, which again means you get that turbo engine as part of the package as well. So, yeah, stands to do quite well. But as with Santa Fe, the issue is always going to be supply. How many can they get for Australia? Because yeah. they'll surely have way more demand than they will supply for the short term. Yes. yes. Mm. All right. I can't remember who it was. Someone recently wrote a fabulous article I thought it was really incisive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, this is really, this is what I think what I, I think it was maybe, maybe it was me. I can't remember. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's a brand. You know, this is a real step forward for Kia. You know, they've gone from, you know, not that long ago being the, you know, quote unquote, cheap and cheerful brand, mm. pushing into electrification is the next big step for them. Mm. And I think they're doing it the right way. You know, cars like the the um, Sorento mm. uh, are volume models that, you know, diesel's on the nose now. It's it's sort of the, the time is right. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the EV6 arriving, mm. like, is this really like the next step that, you know, pushes Kia from, you know, I mean, I guess it's already a mainstream brand, but it really pushes it up at another another level. Yes. Well, I mean, okay, you want to talk about another level. This next one, it's not really about the environment. Um, it's probably not about saving on fuel bills. I think it's very much about performance, and that's the Merck AMG GT63 SE performance. So second half of this year, this thing is mental. So you've still got your four-litre V8, and 150 kilowatt electric motor. So 620 kilowatts, 1400 newton meters. Where is this torque arms race going to end? You know, sorry, you're, you're suggesting this isn't a Prius competitor. <laughs> you, I tell you, love show the, me a, you love a hot take. That is, show me a, show me a Prius that goes zero to 100 <laughs> in 2.9 2.9 seconds. Yeah, 
And this thing wow. is only going to have a range, electric only range of 12 kilometres. So it's, <laughs> it's um, patently yeah. about upping the performance equation. So extraordinary. I, you know, again, it raises that big question in why in Australia, why anywhere? That's, that's a heck of a lot of talk. Mm. Um, so it, yeah. it's, its party trick is going to be that straight line acceleration, I suspect. Well, I think this sort of speaks to the other side of hybrid that we're seeing, you know, in the, in the, in the performance space. I think, you know, we've sort of touched on it with Cooper a little bit, but, you know, there, is, there are performance benefits that can be gained from having an electric motor. You know, we've seen Lamborghini have hybrids. Ferrari has a hybrid. Like, there's, there's, there's capacity for hybrids and every brand wants a hybrid even if it's like you know runs counter to their dna like a ferrari or a lamborghini but yeah there's you know every brand i think has to have one in this day and age and there's obviously you know yeah there's there's, there's two different applications for it performance and economy and that i suppose the only one of the things to say there it doesn't really bring down your corporate average fuel economy you know no. that, that one's not going to make much of a contribution it's all about no. that uh blistering speed yeah. And I think the really interesting thing about the AMG plug-in hybrid system is it very much is unlike any other that we'd really seen up until this point. I mean, you're talking about a relatively small battery, 6.1 kilowatt hours. You know, we're seeing some plugins come out with 30 kilowatt hour batteries now. Like even when it was in its infancy, that was still that is still a very small battery, but yes. it's clearly geared towards performance. I believe off the top of my head, they've made it so that the battery is essentially never going to be depleted. So you're always going to have that electric boost no matter what obviously the engine will charge it and regenerative braking and things like that but you know if you want to fully charge it plug it in sure but it's always going to have some sort of reserve ready to stick the right boot in and get that 1400 is working for you it's so like a, yeah it's crazy amazing still, the claim is still 8.6 which for 1400 uh, <laughs> newton meters i'll take 8.6 liters yeah, i mean that's, that's yeah. i mean you're not I mean, going to achieve that i don't think i think that's probably optimistic again that's one of those uh yeah and Tom, claims, Tom makes but... the point that it's something of a sleeper in the sense that it doesn't look a heck of a lot different to any other, you know, no. to, to other models in that GT yeah. um, four-door lineup. So that's interesting in itself. To your point yeah. about the 8.6 oddly, I mean, if you're spending mm. half a million on that car, I don't think you care what your fuel bill is. Yeah, yeah, but it's just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, here's an old campaigner. This is this is a a, a stalwart of the hybrid market. Um, the Outlander, Mitsubishi Outlander, PHEV. Um, it's this one, though. Uh, where are we? It's a price and a spec hike because the, the Outlander Feb's been around for a while. Um, mm. It'll have a new platform under it. Um, it's going to be larger than the outgoing model. And you can have plug-in hybrid with seven seats for the first time. So that's a bit of a breakthrough for the Outlander. So it'll give it a, a new burst of life. Yeah, mm. the Outlander PHEV, the previous original one, you know, sold surprisingly well in Australia, and I think it's probably because there are a few fleet deals involved there, right. boosting those numbers up. But you know, it still found a surprisingly large audience, and it was an innovator in that segment when it came comes to plug-in technology, right? So yes, you know, they've already got that experience. They've applied it to a new platform, new model. It'll be interesting to see if more private buyers step up and pay the premium to get into it. Yeah, particularly when you can have a Rav4 hybrid for less. And you don't have to worry about a plug. My first experience of the Outlander Fev was uh, not for the first time sitting in the gutter or sitting on the gutter, waiting to be picked up by a colleague um, and a car swap. And so I was more or less at eye and ear level of the car as it pulled up. And I just heard that whirring noise, thought, oh my God, the future's arrived. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that was, that was some time ago, you know, when mm. you're having those kinds of thoughts. So it's been yeah. around a while. It's been around a, lo- a very long time. And I think in some ways, Mitsubishi doesn't get enough credit for sort of, uh, you know, making the move. They're probably maybe slightly ahead of its time in, in yep. a lot of respects. Yep. All right. Now, here's another one that's uh, around the performance end of the spectrum. Volkswagen, Tuareg, R. So it's a replacement for the outgoing V8 diesel. Uh, Three-litre V6 turbo, so again, the turbo combustion engine with an electric motor, 340 kilowatts, which is plenty, 700 newton metres, which is half the Merck AMG, but still an immense number. So, so what a tiny number. <laughs> yeah. Let's call it gutless. Yeah, a, a puny 700 newton metres. Yeah. Um, this time, though, you've got 47 kilometres of all-electric range, so that might cover some people's kind of urban commute or, or whatever they're doing. Um, and it was held up a little bit because it wasn't able to cope or our fuel was too, uh, too rubbish for, for the car. But uh, we're expecting it in the fourth quarter of 2022. So that'll be an interesting one too. Yeah. I mean, look, for someone like myself who, you know, doesn't do a lot of rain around these days, I mean, 47 kilometres is probably perfectly what fine. A, what about know? driving? Do you do much driving? <laughs> Trust me, I do not do a lot of running, no, running around. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, you know, and then to have that performance, is, it's a sort of, a, sounds like it's going to be an appealing kind of, you know, yeah. family vehicle, you know, for someone who, you know, the mums and dads out there who want space, but also, you know, a big old chunk of talk. Yes. Um, and I think, for look, 40, you know, that 50K mark is probably realistically pretty good for most people, you know? Like, I agree. I agree. The average Australian commutes 32 kilometres a day. Yeah, like, so theoretically for our, most people, it's going to do the trick. Thanks but to our stats man, Justin. Well done. Yeah. Always. <laughs> but, you know, probably again, we I think a lot of these hybrids are a direct, you know, result of the, you know, diesel emission scandal. You know, I think diesel's... Diesels had to be phased out from a lot of brands, and obviously Volkswagen is an obvious one. You know, like cool. Yes, it's a it's a good way for them to go. And it, look, yeah. another another player that's been in and around this space for a little while now is Volvo. Um, so we're going to have new, like different versions of XC60 and XC90 recharge, uh, larger batteries, which translates to extended driving range. And a power boost for the electric motors, so like a push-to-pass button, I imagine it must be, which would be nice. Um, it's still reserved for these top-spec T8 versions. And just to that range conversation, here we're talking 68 kilometres electric only for the XC60, 72 kilometres for the XC90. So that's getting even more useful um, mm-hmm. from, a, from a hybrid point of view. Potentially do two commutes with that, two days Correct. of commuting. Uh, so, you know, they've, again, much like Mitsubishi with Outlander, PHEV, Volvo has been a, a leader in this segment pretty much since day dot when it comes to plug-in um, yep. SUVs in a, in a premium sense. So yep. um, this is a big leap for them in that regard with battery range and all that kind of stuff. So yep. be yep. interesting to see how it goes. Totally. Mm. And and we've been talking about established players, but um, in terms of newcomers, um, Haval, 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 uh, the H6 hybrid, and we've been talking about dollars uh, in terms of what it might take to get into these uh, these hybrids. So we've uh, expecting when the when the H6 launched in 2021, there was going to be uh, a hybrid variant was promised down the track, and sure enough, um, we're going to have a self charging style uh, hybrid H6, um, 179 kilowatts, 530 newton meters, which is not bad for an Aval H6. That car's going to get up and run pretty well. 
1.5 litre petrol and engine, but I suppose the missing link is what it's going to cost. Have you got any mail on that, Justin? I do, actually. Hot off uh-huh. the press. Okay, the cool. price is, uh, so it's only available in the ultra grade, which is the uh, top grade that you can get in the H6 range, and it is 44990 drive away, which when you compare it to how much a, a RAV4 top yep. of the uh, range costs on the roads, again, you know, we're talking about something that's five to 10 grand cheaper, depending on which way you go with the variant. So, yeah. um, you know, that's going to be convincing for a lot of people. And unlike RAV4, you, you would assume that um, there's going to be quite a bit of supply of this car. You might be able initially. to actually get so, one in, yeah, so, in, in the near future. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And again, with those outputs, particularly that torque output, you know, you go and compare it to RAV4, it is definitely on paper a little punchier. We'll see how it drives in reality. But, you know, when it arrives in the in the coming weeks, I think for a lot of people, it'll uh, at least get them walking in the showroom and checking it out for sure. Yep. Yep, yeah. that's good. That's good. Now we're into the home straight here, but Honda, we've had a lot to say about Honda in all kinds of ways um, in recent podcasts, but here they are back with a Civic Hybrid. Um, it's going to be a self-charging style system and they're calling it EHEV uh, is the nomenclature and we're talking 50-odd K. So the uh, proxy being that a VTILX version already costs 47,200 drive away. So the best guess is that this thing's going to be up around $50,000. How, how, I mean, with Honda's transformation, I wonder where that fits into the scheme of things. I think that, you know, there's there's a lot made of it, of the transformation and the change of business and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, that's that's just a lot of money for a small car. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just is, you know, you just, I mean, it's a hybrid, sure, but it's, it's effectively a, you know, small to mid-size sedan like yeah, it's not yeah. really it's, it's like you know the hyundai ionic fully electric car was that sort of money a few years ago so yes i you know i just think that is if, if anything i you know i get that it's transparent i get that the you know the, the whole business model's changed but i think you're just going to have consumers looking at it and saying that's a lot of money for the car i get yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a fair I think the thing with Civic, if if you forget about the price and the lack of a range being a single variant currently, it's it's a really damn good car. But um, the one saving grace potentially of the EHEV is there's a bit of a rumor going around that they're going to try and position it as more of a kind of a warm hatch by having a two liter um, engine in it based around that hybrid system. So it'll have you know pretty right. decent outputs potentially um, more in line with like a Serato GT or something like that. So okay. if they position it more as a, a warm hatch, I mean, still we're talking about 50 grand, but it might but be still, palatable that, for someone. <laughs> yeah. But that's still like, you know, the same sort of money you get in a, a Golf GTI or a Hyundai i30N. Like, yeah. You know, like yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I know what I'd be buying. I know yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, like good luck to, to Honda, but it's, to me, it just seems like a tough sell. All right, we'll talk about uh, price tags and tough sell. We're into Peugeot (laughs) territory, (laughs) 3008, 508, uh, both of them with a plug-in hybrid option coming uh, early part of of this year. Uh, 3008, $79,990, 508 fastback, just under $77,000. The electric only driving range of 60 kilometres for the 508, uh, oh no, no, that's the three thousand eight. The five hundred eight is fifty-five kilometers. That's um, you know a brand that is uh, not on people's radar as a rule. Um, I wonder whether these PHEVs will open people's eyes up to the Peugeot option. 
you just other than like diehards that maybe want you know new tech and care about the um, environment and all that kind of stuff, maybe they'll shell out eighty five grand for mm. one. But I just cannot see Joe Bloggs walking into a showroom and saying, "I'll have that." Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, I, I mean, I, again, it's something I've said many times. I've written many times. I think Peugeot is an underrated brand in terms of the quality of the cars. Yep. Um, you know, there's, they're, they're, you know, in Europe, they're an equal to Volkswagen, but here, mm-hmm. yeah. the pricing is just so skewed. It just, I mean, yeah, to me, yeah. th- those figures just don't make sense. Again, so like Honda, you know, like we obviously we've seen price creep with, across all brands, particularly in the last couple of years with COVID and supply chain and blah blah blah. But it's you know, the reality is prices are going up, but that is a huge, huge leap. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, yeah, uh, like, you know, like we said at the start, it's great. Consumers are interested in, in hybrids. They want more hybrids. So you, more brands feel like they want to get a hybrid. It's not much point getting a hybrid if it's a midsize SUV that costs the better part of $80,000. Yeah, because who All wants right. to buy that? Yeah, it's true. That's true. All right, well, that's the wrap up. We, we rattled through that uh, that dozen. Thank you, guys. And we are now going to move to our garage, where which contains cars that aren't coming. They've already arrived, and we've been driving them. And uh, Steve, I want to start off with you. One of the top sellers in the Aussie market, and a particular yep. variant of it. Yes, yeah, so I've been driving the Ford Ranger FX4 Max, uh, which is a fantastically long name. Um, is yeah, it mad? Just- is it mad? Uh, I wouldn't say it's mad. It obviously stands out because it's got all the cool graphics on it um, because we all know Ford loves the sticker pack. Um, and But, you know, obviously we're coming to the end of the life of, of this particular Ranger, so it is, you know, it's only a few more months until we get the new one. But it's still, it's still, it's understandable why it's such a popular car. It's, it's a, you know, it's got the bi-turbo diesel, the four-cylinder, so, you know, it's got plenty of grunt. Um one of the, the favorite things that myself and my kids have loved about the FX4 Max is it's got the little uh, side steps, so it's much easier to get in. Um, they look really tough. Um, but to be honest, you know, driving around the last week, you know, doing the school run through suburban Sydney, I'm, I'm still at a loss why people buy them as family cars. Right. It's not, they're just not that enjoyable to drive every yep. day, you know, like you'll yeah, you know, it, it's hard to park. It's like heavy steering. It's, it's it just sort of shakes over the bumps, and you know, it's just I, I can understand the, the benefits of the practicality and all that stuff, but to me, it's just like every day it sort of starts to starts to wear on you. Cool, cool. All right, that's interesting. Good, Justin. Thank you, Steve. Justin, move on to you. An entirely different kind of car, mm-hmm. um, and and a, a you know a nameplate that's been around for this brand or a, or a suffix. Put it that way. Um, yeah. In the past, tell us about it. So it wasn't that long ago that the notion of a front-wheel drive BMW were, you know, wasn't wasn't even a thing, right? Uh, but you know, the One Series came along in its most recent generation and front-wheel drive platform and all that kind of stuff. So BMW has decided to do a front-wheel drive hot hatch because, of course, up until now we'd had the M135i at the top of the range, and that comes with X Drive all-wheel drive. But now we have a front-wheel drive hot hatch by the name of the 128Ti, which is what I've been driving. Obviously, the Ti um, badge has been on a number of BMW models over the years, usually indicating something that's a little bit sportier, but obviously not an M car. I so. think there, there was another I as well. There was a Ti-I um, at one point. Anyway, I might, yeah. be making, I might be making that up. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, it definitely stands out from the crowd in terms of the, the range because, again, it's got that M Sport package as standard, but it's got plenty of red stuff on it, trim, you know, on the bumpers, Sorry. inside can, stitching. 
can you get a BMW now these days without an M Sport package? <laughs> yeah, great those? question. Do you sell those? Yeah. How do you say that? Genu- just genuine a whole question. bunch of Sport BMWs this week that weren't M Sport. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, yes, you can. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, anyway, M Sport package, lots of red stuff, two-litre engine under the bonnet, 180 kilowatts, 380 newton metres. Uh, for those of you playing at home, Europe actually gets 195 kilowatts and 400 newton metres, and we still don't know why Australia doesn't. I assume it's to do with fuel potentially or... Um, our market uh, just didn't get prioritized. Uh, but anyway, point being, we get a slightly softer tune. But the really interesting thing about this uh, car, which is actually really entertaining to drive, by the way, you do have to wrestle it a little bit through the corner sometimes and uh, puts a smile on the face. But um, the price, 55 grand for a BMW hot hatch front wheel drive. A Golf GTI on the road costs more. Right, right. That's right. Uh, I seem to remember a, a senior person at BMW once uttering the words, we'll never have a front-wheel drive car, Yeah, um, which proves the risk of saying never. Um, <laughs> but in- interesting. Yeah, the comparison, though, between the 128 Ti and the Golf GTI, I think in particular, like they are so closely aligned on paper in terms of price, um, engine specs, even in Australia, uh, performance and all that kind of stuff. And um, honestly... If I was on the market for a GTI, like I just don't know how I would uh, personally not go and buy the one series instead. I mean, a lot of people would see that BMW badge and, you know, aspire to it and potentially want it for that reason. But it's just, a, it feels like a, a more quality in that car, you know, feel like right. you're getting a definitely a step up, particularly in the interior and the ergonomics and all those types of things. So I think as a day to day proposition, I know what I'd buy. Cool. All right. Interesting. Thank you, Justin. I'll round it out. Another BMW, actually, but this is the iX3. So this is the oh. X3, uh, all electric, which is uh, just under 115K. Um, so it's equivalent of a, 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 you know, the premium non-performance X3. Uh, yeah, synchronous electric motor, the one-speed reduction auto, rear-wheel drive. So it, the, that motor sits in a specific subframe at the back of the car and drives the rear wheels, 210 kilowatts, 400 newton metres, 0 to 106.8. So it puts it in the ballpark in terms of, a, you know, pretty rapid, very respectable kind of acceleration from that car. On the plus side, I'd say that, that it's normal. To look at, it looks like an X3. To drive it, some of the time I was driving it, I forgot it was electric. Um, it just feels like an X3. And that's because it's dynamically, it's pretty good. It has adaptive dampers and that compensates for that very low weight. It's got... Its center of gravity is about seven and a half centimeters lower um, than a petrol engine X3. So you've you've got that planted kind of feel. And I've got to say value. Now there's a $115,000 car, but it's loaded and it competes well with other SUVs in that part of the market and not just EVs. Um, and you get five years charge Fox charging free of charge. So you're, you're not paying anything for energy for the first five years. It's got a 460-kilometre range, and I love the 20-inch rims that are on it. They look amazing, subjective thing, but I love that. The minus is it's a little bit firm in the ride. Even in the comfort setting, you do, you do feel the bumps and things, and you can feel a yeah. bit of that weight. There's no spare, and BMW's still got a three-year warranty. So I, I mm. think that, that has to change sooner rather than later for them to be competitive. But I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, it sounds I, appealing. Yeah, spent a week with it, and I thought, wow, this is pretty good. And charging is getting easier all the time. So every day, charging is getting easier. Mm. And when it's given to you for free, and ChargeFox has got 1,400 plugs, mostly on the East Coast, some in Tassie, Adelaide, Perth. So that's not a bad um, deal in my book, and uh, mm. I, enjoy, I enjoy driving. 
If yeah. I'd asked you 15 years ago if you reckon BMW would have a front-wheel drive hot hatch and a rear-wheel drive electric car. SUV, yeah, it's, you, what it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's changing, the changing automotive landscape. So that's good. There's really our is. garage. And we will now move on to comment of the week. It's on top of the shipping container at the front of the car's guide forecourt. It has the bunting around it, balloons. Um, it's it's going to sell. And it's our old mate, DeCook. He said, I've seen this Citroen. And we were talking about the, what do I want to call it? Uh, help me out here, guys. The CX5. C5X. C5X. Thank C5X. you very much. C5X. Not to be confused, it's the CX5. CX5. Thank you very much. And that was the point we made last week. It was probably a clever plan, a cunning plan uh, to get people <laughs> shopping for this car. Anyway, he said, I've seen this Citroen in the flesh. Um, and shout out to planes, trains, and dogs and cars who criticised my pronunciation of Citroen. I think I'd said Citroen, and I'll go Citroen. Uh, Citroen. I hope that's better. And it has a striking, funky design. I wouldn't buy it due to the euro price premium and poor value for money, but gee, I wish more people were getting this eye candy car. As I took some pictures and walked away, a group of senior people, um, including the owners, uh, came around and they seemed very glad someone liked their car so much, almost as if it was an exotic um, and planes, trains, and dogs and cars said, I would have it. Uh, had the hydronium X suspension, Stellantis should cut Citroën some slack and build it unique cars it was famous for. So Citroën, 175 cars they sold in 2021. That's 14.6 cars per month. They've got 34 dealers. That's 0.4 of a car per dealer per month. How, what, if you're, if you're Citroën, what do you do to try and, Besides spending a bazillion dollars on advertising, which would help, obviously, is Citroen potentially just locked in this loop of non-consideration forever? Or is there something that could be done to, to get people to put it on their shopping list? I think in Australia, they, at this stage, they just exist for the Citroen fans out there. You know, mm-hmm. If you're a current owner or whatever, or you grew up in a family of them, then yeah, you go and buy one. But beyond that, I just don't know and see how they're going to attract new buyers, you know, without a big advertising spend and all that kind of stuff or, you know, I just don't see them gaining any sort of traction. Yeah. In fact, the only traction they're probably going to get is is when they finally leave Australia like many other brands have in recent times. Ouch, um, Steve. I just don't know how they're going to yeah. stick around. I think even with a big ad campaign, right, if you spend a bazillion dollars on an ad campaign, what are you advertising? Like, yeah. What's their what's their lineup? What's their USP now? Like this is yeah. a – I think this is a problem – uh, for brands as we've moved to this era of, of modular underpinnings and, and conglomerates, brands need to have something to be different. You know, there needs to be which, a, a point which of was difference. The, it was the death of Saab with GM yeah. because GM just, didn't understand Saab and they yeah. just wanted it to be a European badge and it was so yeah. much more than that. Like, you know, Peugeot is hardly you know, a top five brand in this country, like it's still a, it's still a, a relative minnow. Mm. And this is the same company that's trying to sell the two sort of, you know, to use the favourite word, quirky French cars, you know, like yep. they're selling yep. a premium yep. position. Like what's the dif- what is the difference between a Peugeot and a Citroen? All right. Well, it'd be, it'd be interesting to get our listeners and viewers' uh, opinion on if they were ruling the Citroen roost, what would they do? Sorry, did I cut you off, Justin? You were gonna yeah, say I was just going to say that's a good point, though, in terms of the comparison with Peugeot, right? Because, again, they are such similar cars because all the models are basically related. But yeah. in Australia, we went through that recent shift not that long ago, a couple of years ago, where you know Peugeot sold SUVs, sold cars, sold LCVs. Citroen, apart from 
Berlingo didn't, and now they've switched and it's like, okay, Peugeot's only SUVs and, and cars and, and Citroën's more moving towards the commercial side of things with a couple right. of right. SUVs sprinkled along the way. And mm-hmm. it seems that that is going to be confusing to a lot of people about what that brand is. But I guess maybe yeah. they just need to double down and say, you know, we're an LCV brand because, yeah. you know, you've got a lot of competing products otherwise. That's an interesting thought. That's probably- maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, let's see what people make of that. And with that, we have reached the finish line. So thank you, Steve. And My pleasure. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. And thanks to today's producer and our digital muse, Mr. Brett Sullivan. Um, you know, today, as a tribute to Mr. Pritchard, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I'm kind of an arsehole. Um, so that's, it's, it's a nice one. Jump into the conversation. Uh, Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple Podcast listeners, take a moment to rate and review the show. Five's the preferred number of stars. That'd be good. Thank you. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, a mate of mine told me this week that it's mandatory to have your headlights on when it's raining in Sweden. I said to him, that's madness. How the hell are we meant to know when it's raining in Sweden? (laughs) That's... uh... Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>